All right, we are back. Let's uh, let's continue where we were in. We are back. Let's continue where we left off with some science topics, shall we? I remember pondering many years ago when I was in medical school um, when someone would get around to classifying what types of bacteria lived in and on our body. I mean, we all are basically ecosystems. There are more cells living on us and inside of us than there are of us, or at least it's about an equal number, believe it or not. We have various communities with their own ecology in our gut and on our skin, and someone finally has gotten around to trying to classify what these different ecosystems are like. And in this, they've found a parallel between microbiology and real estate. It turns out it's all about location, location, location. In this case, Elizabeth Costello with the University of Colorado at Boulder and some colleagues sampled 18 different sites on eight people, and they did this over a four-month period of time. Previously, it was unclear how important location was versus, say, variation between people for promoting certain types of bacteria. The team also inoculated plots on volunteers on their foreheads and their arms with bacteria transplanted from elsewhere on the body. Turned out that bacteria... That, was tra- that were transplanted from the tongue would thrive on the forearm, but not on the forehead. On the forehead, they would develop to resemble the community that they had replaced, uh, and, which was, and which was less diverse than on the forearm, which I can't make heads or tails out of. To researchers, it suggested that the chemistry of oily skin, like that on the forehead, would control growth of the bacteria there more than in dry areas like the forearm. The team also found some unusual similarities. For example, the microbial community in your belly button is much the same as that behind the knees. They found similarities between armpits and the soles of the feet. I'm quite confident that as this research continues, we're going to learn a lot that is of practical value, you know, if nothing else, to the people that make deodorant. And here's a shocker. Apparently, a bad diet can actually alter the bacteria in your gut to encourage weight gain. It would seem that a high-fat, high-sugar diet does more than just pump calories into your body. It also alters the composition of the bacteria in your intestines, which makes it easier to gain weight and harder to lose it. This research was conducted on laboratory mice. They found that changeover can happen in as little as 24 hours, much faster than researchers had expected. So it appears that the ecosystems we have inside of us... uh, have some mysteries that we may resolve soon. Article about this in The Economist, and I must say that their, their science section is consistently excellent in The Economist. Human guts are full of bugs that help digestion. They also stop their disease-causing counterparts from invading. In this age-old symbiosis, some bacteria are better than others in providing food to their human hosts, and also seem by mechanisms yet unknown to encourage those host bodies to store that energy as fat and keep the fat on. Now in the past, when food was limited, these bacteria would have been very valuable allies for us, but today's era of plenty, they are problematic. This work on mice suggests that obesity is associated with having a high proportion of bacteria called firmicutes. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Whereas in lean people, you find uh, the bacterioides group dominating. And of course, what's intriguing about this is that uh, you might be able to transplant lean microbes from one person to another to make them thinner. 
course, how you're going to get microbes from one person to another person involves a methodology that might not be for the squeamish. Note of the article, how they did it in mice was by taking 10-week-old mice that had been bred to be free of germs and colonizing their guts by feeding them with human feces. I certainly hope that this opens some new doors to probiotics, which has long been a wonderful idea and one which is sound in theory but just seems to kind of fall down on the job in practice, despite some of the more extravagant claims you might hear in the health food store. Without a doubt, some bacteria, you know, are, are going to benefit you in your gut. You know, people that are out there eating yogurt are trying to do that. But uh, our knowledge in this area is very incomplete. But doggone it, this, uh, this mice research may open a lot of doors. I certainly hope so. And there's uh, more good news to come from the world of microbes. We noted in this program in the past that there have been massive abuses in genetic engineering. Nevertheless... Properly used, this technology could do mankind a great deal of good, and in fact, already has. When I was a young medical student back in the Pleistocene era, insulin came from animal sources, pork or beef. Since this is not identical with human insulin, this would cause occasional problems. These days, when you shoot up insulin, it is human insulin, identical to that made in the pancreas, only it's made by microbes. Well, there may be more good news in this area in the area of biodegradable plastics. In fact, we may see uh, polylactic acid uh, manufactured by bacteria being used to wrap your food and, you know, make containers and do all kinds of things that we now use plastics made from uh, oil for. According to, again, The Economist, polylactic acid is already being used uh, for food and drink packaging and and may have some potential uh, to be used to make some biodegradable clothing furnishings, hygiene products like, uh, like diapers, and, and medical devices. It would be a wonderful thing if our landfills had uh, plastic in it that was biodegradable, would break down in a matter of years, and, uh, and uh, certainly would be a good thing for the oceans, which have these giant, giant rafts of, uh, of plastic out in the, the middle of the, uh, the Earth's oceans, which I fear is going to have negative, uh, negative effects on the environment that we haven't even fully appreciated yet. But anyway, we certainly applaud this effort to bring about uh, better living through chemistry, or in this case, genetic engineering. And one thing as we close today that I hope to maybe be able to uh, genetically engineer is a solution to the fact that America lost its giant forests of chestnut trees. It was said that a squirrel in New England could jump chestnut tree to chestnut tree and go all the way down to Alabama back in the forest's heyday. This was all pretty much wiped out by a fungus, and there have been efforts to bring in European species uh, to replace these, and they're smaller and have smaller nuts and apparently are not quite as satisfactory. So I hope some, somebody can, can blend the two, blend some kind of blight resistance into the chestnuts and bring them back, because there was an article in the Sacramento News and Review from Alastair Bland about chestnuts a few months ago at the height of the season. The article, uh, which appeared at the end of September, talked about how a lot of chestnut growers in California are, are now profiting by the increased demand for their product. The point of the article that in spite of the old Christmas carol or Christmas song, whatever it is, about chestnuts roasting over an open fire, Christmas is a little bit late in the year to be eating chestnuts. 
When I was a kid, my grandmother had a marvelous chestnut tree, and we always knew it was uh, time to eat chestnuts when the World Series was rolling around. Back then, that was late September, early October. These days, the World Series seems to be, I don't know, around Thanksgiving time. But uh, see if you can't, you know, get some reasonably uh, fresh ones, which is hard to do. Anyway, Alistair Brand's articles, I'm sure, on the web, it might be a good review for you if you've never really tried chestnuts. If, if you haven't, by the way, you're missing a real treat. It's a wonderful food. I tell you, just, just thinking about eating chestnuts makes me nostalgic. So I'd say see if you can get some good specimens and try them out uh, uh, this month, but uh, mark them on your calendar to uh, give them a go next fall. You'll know it's uh, chestnut time when, when the baseball season ends. I think that's a, that's a reasonably good marker still. Thanks on today's show goes to Franz Kassen. Keep up the good work, Franz. Even if, as an occupational hazard, it will occasionally trigger a rant. Yours <laughs> truly. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We're going to have quite a few interesting guests in the weeks to come, so be sure to tune in. We'll see you then. Forevermore, forevermore the memory.